Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't, I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Hesselin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Mercedes. We're here today with Mark Berman. He's a partner with Ganford Shore uh, in Manhattan. And Mark's going to talk to us today about uh, cybersecurity, both for law firms and businesses and for individuals in general. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you for being here. Mark also serves as chair of the New York State Bar Association's Committee on Technology and the Legal Profession, where uh, we're looking at uh, issue, uh, many issues, uh, one of which is the issue of cybersecurity. Uh, Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the issue of cybersecurity and how it affects businesses and law firms. Well, cybersecurity issues are probably one of the largest threats to businesses and law firms in the country right now. Because cybersecurity intrusions go directly to the issue of the company's or firm's assets. So when you hack the assets, you get control of the assets, you convey the assets, you are putting, not, not just economically, you are putting that company, that law firm, at risk of private proprietary information getting out to who knows where. And of course, with lawyers, you have the issue of, it goes into directly the confidentiality issues relating to client communications. And now you say when, uh, you know, there's a hack, and when, when, when we think of the word that, the, you know, uh, a hack, that you think of somebody, you know, on a computer, uh, you know, f uh, somehow deciphering uh, what your passcode is, and then uh, penetrating your computer system. But uh, in reality, the, the hack, as we call it, is really uh, something that's quite different, uh, not necessarily done uh, with uh, some computer savvy, but more with uh, behavioral uh, and social uh, attacks. Uh, explain that. That's correct. Well, let, let me give you an example that you wouldn't think is a hack, but in fact is really falls into protection of your digital assets. Someone goes out there and looks at Mark Berman's profile, Facebook profile, tweets, what he, what he spoke about, and learns enough personal information about Mark Berman, and maybe even has a call with Mark Berman trying to sell him something, and they tape my voice. Next, with all that information, they decide to contact my company and say, we'd like a wire transfer of a million dollars. Well, I'm viewed as the CEO from their homework. They know I have two kids. They know where I live. They know when, where I'm going on vacation because I've posted this, and they have my voice. They then figure out an old email address of mine, not so hard, maybe not a current one. They adjust it ever so slightly. They send an email to my colleague saying, Please wire a million dollars to blah, blah, blah to close this transaction. But before that, they have a chat. How's vacation? I know you're going to Canada the next week. How are the kids? And the, the bad guys know all this information because I've done your, your homework. Next thing you know, oh, it looks legitimate. You wire a million dollars to someone only to find out that person was impersonating me. Is that a hack? It's not a hack. Is it a true cybersecurity intrusion? Not really, 
But it goes right, and I give that example, because it goes right to the heart of companies and law firms and how to protect their assets. So David was asking about the concept of you know, social engineering. That's what the players in the industry call where the bad guys use human beings' vulnerabilities to always want to open up a link, always want to open up an attachment, always want to communicate because we're human, we're human beings. So, so you get a link, you get an email, and we all get this. You get an email from someone, and it, it's probably uh, the, the heading in the email is probably from someone that potentially you know. It's an email that you're familiar with, and it says here, uh, it's kind of a generic note, and it says, here, open this link and let me know what you think, or something like that. Uh, and then you, you think it's from uh, perhaps a reliable source, and you do open the link, and, and, and what happens then when that link is, is opened? Well, you either get a link, David, you get a PDF, okay, and you think it's a trusted source. It might even be from you, David, because you may have been hacked. So I wouldn't even question, because your email address is entirely proper. Right. And a little bit unusual, but you could email me and say, what do I think of this? Because we communicate all the time. Right. So what do I do? I open it up, whether it's a link or a PDF, and embedded in that link, PDF, depending on how sophisticated the, the intrusion or the scam is, it then, like a virus, invades your system. And you might not even know it at the time, right? I mean, when you open the link, it could appear to be something innocuous. It could appear to be something that is uh, appropriate, let's say. Maybe it has uh, the proper branding and, and logos that you would ordinarily see and expect, and you open it, and, and then uh, it has now penetrated your system, and you might not even be aware of it. The first, yeah, that's exactly right. So let's say you, for, that happens and the logo, the branding looks exactly right. For, for if you see asking for passwords and credentials, that should immediately be an indication that this something amiss is going on. What you do, you delete it, you go into your delete file, you get it out of trash. That doesn't mean you've saved yourself, but the indicators are anytime someone Let's confirm that purchase. Give me your social security number. Let's confirm your email. You know, let alone asking for a wire or banking instructions. Anything that asks you to confirm personal information, you should call immediately into question. But to answer David's question, yes, you probably don't know it has some malignant codes in it. So let's say you open, you know, you open the link unknowingly, thinking it's from, uh, you know, a reliable source, um, and it becomes it becomes activated in your system. What does that mean? What what actually happens? Uh, these, you know, they're called worms, or there's a there's a a, a, a locky ransomware. Uh, what happens if you're a, a, a company or a business or a law firm? 
when this is somehow activated within your system? Well, there's a couple things, depending on how sophisticated the malignancy is. It could just be simply a virus that shuts down your firm, your company, that spreads throughout horizontally throughout the server because the bad people want to ask a ransom demand. Not a good thing, but it gets much worse. It could be in multi-steps where you know we, we've heard about sleeper cells. So I, I so now using that term, something gets embedded and it sits there. It doesn't ask for anything from you. It pervades throughout the system horizontally. Maybe it's looking for things, maybe it's accumulating data, or maybe it's sitting there for another event. Is it, it, it could be, for example, attracting data, it could be specific data. Uh, for example, if then later throughout the day or the week or the month, you decide to log into one of your financial accounts, your banking account or your investment account, uh, now suddenly it has your passwords and your codes uh, and the websites that you go into uh, and uh, presumably can replicate that and now get more than just the information that's on your computer, but get information on the computers that you're connected to in your daily life. Yes, and that also includes your vendors, your clients. So it doesn't just stay within your system. It's bad enough if your system's compromised, but it's sophisticated um, cyber intrusions, you then cause it to be sent out or replicated in your clients. So imagine you're the lawyer who then transmits this disease to, to many of your clients. Not only do you have problems internally, you have now infected your clients. We, we all know what happens then, how the clients are going to feel about that situation. Right. Let me, let's say, let me ask you this, and, and I know you're involved uh, in a lot of ethical issues uh, that, involve, that uh, deal with attorneys. Let's say there's a situation where you're a lawyer and you think that uh, perhaps one of these uh, viruses has been downloaded on your law firm's system. What is your obligation to report that to your client? You're not sure what's been compromised. Do you have an obligation to report that to your, uh, to your clients at that time? Or do you, have to, do you wait until you, you, you have some assurance that something's been compromised? Well, first thing is you move lightning fast. Because what you, you have a belief that you have been attacked or you're vulnerable. You bring in immediately a consultant to see if your data has been compromised. And has the compromised data been localized to the firm? Or has it been transmitted out? You need to move quickly because remember, you, you have ethical obligations to the extent confidential client information has been compromised. What would be the type of person or entity that you would look to to help assist you in determining the extent of the, the compromise? There are a bunch of very, very sophisticated companies out there. And in fact, if this happens to a law firm. Well, let's say I were to Google because you wanted to find one. What, what would be the words that you would 
that you would uh, put in? I would use cybersecurity, breach, hack, consultant, notice. And I think if you put in those four or five words, you'll get these different companies. And if, you, if this hack or intrusion happens to a law firm, probably the first person you call, other than if you suspect it, other than your IT professional, whether in-house or outhouse, is your cyber insurance broker. Right. And from that call, the alert goes out to the carrier who then convenes a call virtually yesterday and has specific consultants on retainer ready to come on in immediately to determine the degree of the infection. You talk about cyber insurance. Now, let me ask you this. Um, is that something that would be uh, uh, covered under a uh, typical uh, insurance policy, business insurance policy, like a, a comprehensive general liability policy, or is that a policy that you'd have to get specifically devoted to cyber insurance? Generally speaking, your DNO policy, your malpractice policy, your commercial policy does not cover it. There will be an endorsement which will say that's not covered, but your broker will say, ah, here's a rider or here's a separate policy. And they're not, the at least at currently for law firms, they're not the most expensive policies, the premiums to get. So it's a, sep it's a separate standalone. And they're not, you know, they're not, um, they're not all the same size. So that's obviously something that you should get in place before this happens. That's right? correct. Right. And so... Um, that's not a remedial measure you can take afterwards. You need to anticipate that this is going to be a potential problem and uh, talk to your uh, insurance uh, agent about get, making sure you have that rider. And when you talk to that agent, some agents are sophisticated, some are less. And each policy is different and covers different things. But I view the insurance sort of as stage three. Stage one is to educate your employees and staff to be on the lookout what to do, what not to do. Good education, which is what I, the reverse of the social engineering that David, you mentioned before, I call it behavior modification, which everyone knows. You have to modify your lawyers, your clients, your employees' view of the world on how one deals with opening attachments opening links, putting in thumb drives, when traveling, how to protect your mobile devices, not using your mobile devices from a free Wi-Fi at Starbucks or at the public library. You know, there are many, well, let's many talk basics. about that because, you know, we're, there's a couple of things where we're talking about, okay, not I'm not going to download an email or an attachment to an email that I'm not familiar with. I'm not going to put a thumb drive in. Um, but people are on traveling and they might have their you know, work laptop and they need to connect through their email to perform their job. And they're, you know, they are at a Starbucks or at an airport and they're connecting to whatever Wi-Fi they can get a hold of. What's the, the risks that they're running by doing that? 
the risk is, is extraordinary because the person sitting next to you in the airport lounge with his computer is waiting for people to use you know, public Wi-Fi that's unprotected. He's sitting there scanning in that room, and he's, he or she is sitting right next to you looking say, for a vulnerable computer and probably grabbing to the extent possible passwords and codes and then goes home that night and says, oh, here are the 50 I grabbed. Let's see. Oh, I got law firm A. Mm, I got investment banking firm B. I got accounting firm C. Let's see who's most vulnerable, what they're involved in. And then they have fun. So the answer is, sure, use your uh, iPad from the airport. But don't use the free Wi-Fi. You know, have a plan, just like you have on your cell phone. We'll just stay away from it, whether it's the airport, the train, the hotel. While it's more expensive um, to use your own private plan or your firm's plan, the downside of not truly is extraordinary. So we were talking about that. So it's education. Behavior modification is step one. And step two is at your firm, law firm, or at the company, in addition to education, you know, making sure your, your, your software, your hardware is up to date. You, you know, one thing that everyone is susceptible to is people get lazy about patching. You know, one of the good things about, you know, the major technology vendors, software companies, Microsoft, they're always at the edge trying to look for vulnerabilities, trying to fix them. You don't want to be behind in the proper operating system, in the proper patch to the operating system. Because there, you're, that's really that your firewall um, are your first lines of defense. And so you have education and you want to, maybe you want to hire a consultant to do a vulnerability assessment. And they're all different levels, all different costs from being quite inexpensive to more expensive to test, to, um, test drive your system to see, oh, you're behind in patching, you need a different operating system. These two computers are old and they're more vulnerable in your firm than, than others. Um, you really need an upgraded, um, you know, virus checker. Things really are basics that are not expensive, but the consultant will identify them for you, for you then to upgrade and to bring current. Then the next step, if one wanted to do it, and I think it makes sense, everyone watches CSI and all the television programs, that these companies seek to penetrate your system, seek to con some of your employees to see if they, your education has worked and not worked. They try to almost hack into your own system and they give you a report that says, well, we just sent this email to your 70 employees that was fake. 62 of them opened it up. And when they opened it up, the message that you... So this is the hired security firm does like a test um, as a, you know, an unknown source will contact the employees with 
what is obviously a fraudulent uh, inquiry um, and see who responds to it, which is a difficult thing for employees because they're, you know, also you've got this balance. They're supposed to be there for customer service. Our customers need our support. You're supposed to be friendly and, and cooperative. And now you're giving them this alternative instruction of being suspicious of people who call and people who correspond with you. It's a very, yes, David, it's a very, it's a balancing act. You need to protect your firm's assets, but you need to communicate right. with clients, with vendors, and you need to correspond with them. You need to share attachments. You need to share links in your average, ordinary course of business. And the answer to that is, you know, to a certain degree, someone emails you, one, you call them up to confirm when they're asking for these, is this from you? It's annoying to have to make the phone call, right. but it's well worth the phone call, particularly for you know companies involved in transactions, lawyers in transactions. You're doing a deal and it comes time to pay. That's where a lot of the problems occur with um, people have been watching, maybe have hacked in, understand that you're about to do a deal and all of a sudden you get a rogue wire instruction. But you don't know it's rogue. It looks completely authentic. It has all the right bells and whistles. But it's not. You call up the sender. I just got your wire instruction. Let's confirm the number. That takes 45 seconds. But that kind of now required behavior modification will save you hundreds if not millions of dollars. It adds 45 seconds to the transaction, but it's the best medicine that you can take. Let's talk a little bit. I mean, we've been talking about business, corporate and business uh, and law firms. So there's this whole other very serious issue about uh, individual and personal uh, data uh, invasion and data privacy and data use uh, that we've seen come to light you know, with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, which would post, uh, you know, little uh, uh, summary uh, questions, and now suddenly they're getting the data not only of you, uh, but all everybody who's connected to you as your friend on Facebook. But it's really even more than that. I mean, you look at uh, most of the apps that you use, there's some element of data collection. Um, I took a look at some of the ones, some of the most egregious ones. One is uh, words with friends, apparently uh, harvests data. Another is the, the, the basic flashlight application that you have uh, is constantly taking the data of where you are and sending it out to vendors. And oftentimes you'll see, you know, on your phone or your computer, you'll, you'll see um, an ad pop up. And it just so happens to be an ad that you are, in fact, very interested in because you were just searching for something like that. Um, uh, or you're traveling and suddenly they'll say, oh, here's a list of things to do in, you know, Orlando. And you're like, nobody knows I'm in Orlando. Uh, but somebody does because you've signed into one of these apps and your information uh, maybe a lot of it, maybe a little bit of it, is being forwarded and now harvested and, and sold to other companies. What, um, 
What can we do about that, Mark? What can we do? That's an interesting question. I mean, I'll start with until the issue with the recent issue of Facebook. I think everyone knew in the back of their head, back of their mind, that when they go online, they make purchases, they surf, people are collecting data. And people sort of didn't mind because they're looking for a flight to Canada. And next couple days later, you get an ad, here's a good deal for Canada. And it helps you. It gives you a better price. So I don't, you know, so everyone knew that data was being mined. I think most people know, of course, it's being mined and being sold. But all of a sudden now, for the first time, it's, it's risen to a new level because we hear a professor had access. He then gave the information to an entity who then used the information in connection with the presidential election. And I think that's crossed the line. People say, wow, not only are people using my information to sell me things, they're using my information for malevolent purposes. Right. And, but for the election issue, I think things would have hummed right along. But now, I believe we're going to see legislation. You know, even the election issue, I think that people feel like, well, if someone wants to send me an election ad, for even if it's for malevolent, malevolent purposes, that's okay because I'm smart enough to not be swayed by that. I make up my own mind. Um, I went in, you can go into Facebook, and I don't use it a lot just to see pictures of my kids and you know that sort of thing, vacation pictures of friends. Don't use it a lot. Don't do any of those puzzles or those quizzes, um, which are all you know, data extractors. Don't do any of that. Um, but you can go in and see where your data has been harvested. Who has harvested your data uh, on Facebook? And you got there's all these security measures, and you know, Facebook talks about its its uh, open disclosure uh, of all this. But it's very hard to get to. Uh, but I spent the time. I got it, and it was shocking. Uh, I I had I downloaded pages and pages. Of, of organizations and businesses and individuals, apparently, that had uh, paid to extract to, to, for my data. Um, and it was really an eye-opening uh, experience to see all the data that's in there, your friends, where you've been, who you're related to, uh, and who has that data, people, people and organizations that I've never heard of. Um, hundreds of them uh, have that data. And it's, I think the problem is it seems insurmountable at this point uh, because you're to remain connected with, uh, you know, society at least in, 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 in our society. You need to have some level of connection. And once you do that, you seem to have compromised your ability to, to keep that information private. I think that's right. Even with regulation, when you in our new society, where you're on social media, and you, and not even just on social media, you're using the internet, you provide information. People, we're a capitalistic country. People collect the data, and sell it. And so the answer is, I don't. With good legislation, it's not going to solve the problem because. 
No one creates an entity just out of their own goodwill. There's, there's, a, there's a reason for these platforms and their profit making. Right, and, and when we talk about you know, even good legislation, you and I are both involved in, in technology and, and its relation to the law, and we both know that our legislators move at a glacial pace and our technology moves at light speed pace. So any legislation that we have is not, it's able to keep up with you know, what we've, the problem we had two or three years ago, rather than anticipating the problem that is gonna be coming down you know, in the next uh, couple of years. That's right. So if one assumes the legislation when it comes down will be somewhat outdated and technology will have moved right. that much further, to um, do an end around of whatever new law would create. You're left with self-regulation by the companies, and that's going to have an effect because of the reputational damage. To a certain degree, the, those entities that collect information are going to have to change the way they operate. They're gonna to have to do much more transparent disclosures and say, who they're not sending to, who they are sending to, and you will probably be given the option of clicking yes or clicking no. Of course, that's self-regulation. That doesn't mean the company's gonna necessarily follow what they've agreed to with you as a subscriber. Um, so assuming um, they have, that's going to help. And then of course, it's you know, up to the individual whether to partake in the social media or the platforms. Right. Uh, lastly, you have the big issue, assuming there's some legislation, assuming there's good, solid self-regulation, and then assuming you as the consumer click what you wanna click and are very careful what you disclose. That doesn't mean you know, good corporate citizens that maintain and have this data themselves don't get hacked. And but we're not talking about hacking here. We're talking about a, a just giving over of the information because I like, I want to play this Angry Birds. And now because I'm bored and, and play Angry Birds, which I don't, but, but the individual who does is now given up, you know, the farm uh, for these Angry Birds. It's funny you use Angry Birds oh, for no other reason. I have young children. And my boys are always asking me to download some sort of app on my iPad or mobile device. And it's not easy to say no to them, but I don't know if that app... Do they know their data might be compromised? Uh, well, my boys don't, <laughs> but do they know daddy's dad is going to be compromised because it's on his mobile device? If they so, want, but they want to play. But they want to, so I, you know, it really not so easy um, to tell them no. But I know my sister went away for a trip and she wanted me to download this app so she could um, co communicate um, freely with me from abroad. And she got mad at me. I refused. She goes, why? I go, that particular app seeks to get access right. to my contacts. Right. Right. And right. then for, and of course, lawyers keep on their contacts, in addition to the names of their clients, frequently confidential information. 
So I, I had to tell my sister, no, I'm not downloading that. App. Right. Well, Mark, this has been fascinating. Thank you for your insights and your, uh, your enlightenment and also for your work uh, on this issue and these related issues on behalf of uh, the New York State Bar Association and the legal profession. Much of the work you've done uh, here with the Bar Association uh, has been uh, leading the way, uh, not only in New York, but uh, across the nation on some of these cutting edge issues. So it's, it's wonderful to have you here today. We have a feature on Miranda warnings. We've been talking about serious uh, topics, but we have a, a lighter feature called Music, Book, or Movie, where you can share any type of artistic performance that has meant something to you. I actually like and had fun with The Lion King on Broadway, bringing my young boys to The Lion King was extraordinary. You had to see their eyes when these costumes come out to come into the audience you know we had great seats overlooking them I, I think we had a ball and it was just such a dynamic and unusual performance uh, it was a great way to introduce my two sons to broadway it wasn't drama it wasn't comedy but i now know that these guys anytime i give them the opportunity say you want to go to the theater they're all over it because they remember their first experience at the Lion King. Right. Well, that's great. And it was entertaining and nobody's data got hacked. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mark Berman, uh, for being with us here to talk about cybersecurity. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome, David. Good speaking to you. This has been the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings for all things legal and some that aren't.